Welcome to the Erickson Covenant Church Podcast. We're happy that you would join us for today's teaching. As a church, we're passionate about helping people find and follow Jesus, no matter who they are or where they are from. If you have any questions about Jesus, the church, or the teaching you're hearing today, please don't hesitate to contact us online at ericksoncovenant.ca. And now, let's listen to this week's teaching. For the month of August, we're going to go through a, a message series on healing, particularly looking at four stories in the Gospel of Luke, healing stories where Jesus came into someone's life and their life was changed forever because of his power to heal. Thanks, Amanda. <clears throat> I'm excited about this because I think that um, it'll afford us the opportunity to really you know, open up and talk about healing. It'll afford us an opportunity as a community to, to consider how we bring our needs to Jesus, how we pray. Um, it'll also give us an opportunity to receive, I believe, from, from Jesus, uh, something special in our, in our lives. It could be healing. It could be hope, grace, help. And, uh, I also think it'll give us an opportunity as a community to address some of the common misunderstandings that we carry about about healing, or about how this this all works, and and I hope uh, through our time, maybe we'll have opportunity to hear from each other, both maybe questions that come out uh, about healing that maybe uh, you want to ask about, but also because I know many of you and how you have got great wisdom to share with the community as well um, about how. Jesus has led in your life how he has healed you or how he has walked with you through difficulty. And I know that that's something that we would need to hear as a community. So we may not hear it from the front, but I hope that it will inspire conversation among us as a, as a community. I also hope that it will help us lean into praying for one another and uh, receiving from Jesus what he has for us. So each week we'll go through a healing story, particularly from the Gospel of Luke. I chose four stories from the Gospel of Luke, and uh, it's the third of the four uh, stories of Jesus found at the start of the New Testament. And what we'll do is we'll walk through a story of Jesus and then we'll try to make sense of what that means and uh, we'll just kind of see where it goes. I think there's kind of two broad questions in this series. One would be, how do we ask you know, for healing? How do we come to Jesus for healing? Or how do we pray for others? Whatever. Um, but also the second question would be, what am I supposed to do or what am I supposed to think if the thing I've been praying for doesn't happen? Like, uh, there, there isn't a healing or there isn't a change. Like, how do I, how do I process that? How do I live in the tension of that um, personally? Because the truth is, we do live in a broken world. We live in a world, just look around, you don't have to look far, to see that we live in a world that is deeply fractured by sin. And we carry a lot of that fracture in our bodies and in our lives. Right? And yet, for those who have come to understand what Jesus has done, we also acknowledge that we have a creator who loves us and who is committed, totally committed, he showed that in Jesus, totally committed to our full and complete restoration. And somehow we, we have to bring that together. Like, how does it work that we live in a broken world and yet God wants our full restoration and sometimes it happens now and sometimes it happens later. How do we live in, in the tension of that? And so I hope... And pray that going through these four stories over the month of August, knowing that August is what August is, so some of us are hit and miss, I get that. But I'm hoping it'll help us um, more fully trust Jesus and his good intention for us, 
but also it'll inspire more faithful prayer in us as a community for each other and for ourselves. So we're going to go through the story this morning that we've already heard from Joanne. So you've been given like the overview. You've been given the sermon, actually. Uh, and uh, and so um, that was great. Really thankful to Joanne for doing that. Um, but we're picking this up in Luke chapter 5. It's um, early in the launch of Jesus' public ministry. Luke, Luke 5, 12 to 16. If you have a Bible or a phone, you can look it up. There's some Bibles in the in the chairs as well. He's early in the launch of his public ministry, but he's already becoming known, very fast becoming known as a great, powerful uh, healer and and teacher. And people are just chasing after him already. He's already having to duck and hide when people are coming. And, and he, we've already heard details of that a little earlier in Luke. And out of these people that are gathering around him, he's starting, just starting to call some of them specifically to follow him more closely, like as his disciples and, and to become part of his inner circle. He's just begun to do that when we hear this story early in Luke. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. Now, the word leprosy, we know it to mean a specific disease that is is horrible and and can just ruin a person and disfigure them, and they can even lose lose appendages, and it's it's tragic and terrible. Um, But the word there can, can mean that, yes, but also other infectious skin diseases, or frankly, even skin diseases that weren't infectious but looked bad. And so it covered a range of, of skin, of skin diseases and how it was viewed in their culture was that it, this person is severely contagious or rather very un, unclean. And as a result, um, as you already heard in the children's story and you, some of you are familiar with this, know that these people then were separated from their community, from their family. They had to go outside kind of into, into places that were away from other people and, uh, and, and live separate. They weren't allowed to enjoy, you know, family dinners. They weren't able to participate in the worship life of the community. Um, they were, they were completely segregated. And not only segregated and off on their on their own, but they were they were viewed with revulsion and with uh, a sense that there's something wrong with them. Maybe uh, some people carried the view that they must have done something wrong to have deserved this, right? So they see them off in a distance and they think, "Wow, like I wonder what they did. Like I wonder what their family did. I wonder what kind of generational sin has popped up." That would cause this, you know, these kinds of ideas that people carried that there was this, oh, they must have done something wrong or someone in their family. In other words, that's God's judgment on them. Some thought that others would have just looked at them perhaps with pity, but they 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 wanted nothing to do with them. And as a result, the whole person, as you can only imagine, they suffered tremendously. They suffered, of course, socially, spiritually. They, 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 tremendous psychological strain to now be away from your family and to be viewed that way. It was, it was a devastating, uh, devastating affliction. And this man, um, he has a severe case of it. He's covered with leprosy. So in other words, wherever he went, he would have been instantly recognized and he would have made his presence known, but they would have seen him and thought, oh my goodness, how gross, or oh, put, put him away, stay away, you know, and they, they would have moved to the side. Uh, this man would have been seen as uh, someone that um, 
wasn't worthy of attention or care. Someone they need to stay away from. So this man, at a total loss, who knows what his story was, who knows how long he had had suffered from this disease, he comes to Jesus. And he isn't sure, I think, as we hear his words, he's not sure that Jesus would heal him. But when you're desperate, you do whatever it takes, right? So he comes to Jesus. I don't know how far he came, but he tracks down Jesus. And picking up again in verse 12 of chapter 5, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. If you are willing, you can make me clean. I want you to notice something. uh, It's revealing here. He doesn't see his problem as being sick, per se. He actually sees his problem as being unclean. And that tells us something about how he understands his sickness, but also how others around him and how his people would have understood what was going on. They saw this skin disease as, an, as a cleanliness issue. In other words, in a, in a culture that sees purity and contamination everywhere, so it's a purity contamination culture, a clean, unclean culture. He sees the skin disease as a cleanliness problem. He's unclean and needs to be therefore cleansed. I'm not saying he didn't understand it as healing, but primarily it was viewed as a cleanliness uh, problem. And this wasn't just uh, things like skin disease. This is throughout the culture. Even even in Jesus' mighty works, when he when he uh, was confronted by evil spirits, they're often called and understood to be unclean spirits. And so when Jesus would cast them out, the person became clean. And so that's how they viewed not only skin diseases, not only demonic oppression, but but uh, food and uh, uh, vessels and, and items, uh, dead bodies, you know, various things that were seen through a purity contamination uh, lens. And so he thinks primarily his problem is one of contamination and he needs to be cleansed. Now, you notice this question. It stands out fairly obviously. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. What do you think he means by that question or even that statement? If you're willing, you can make me clean. What do you think he means? Throw, throw out an idea. I'll repeat it for the, for the microphone. Yes, he has faith. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, prepared for rejection. Why would you think that? Right. Okay, if you are willing. So he may have some, some hold back there. Anyone else? What's going on here? He knows he's able. Yes, absolutely. There's no question in the man's mind that Jesus is able to do it. The question is whether he's willing to do it, right? So it doesn't, it's not questioning Jesus' power. In some ways, it's questioning Jesus' goodness. Or you could say, maybe specifically, because he's not sure that he is worthy of it. You know how it is. You can hear other people have had this experience or other people have received this from Jesus or other people have, have heard or understood God's goodness to them in various ways, but I'm just not sure that it could apply to me. Which you can kind of understand. I mean, the guy has a, a view of himself that's pretty low at this point. 
And who knows how that's been reinforced throughout his life and how long he's been sick. But he really isn't sure that he is worth the attention or the power or even the goodness of, of Jesus. He's not sure. I know Jesus is able, but I'm not sure. Has it ever been true in your life where you've wondered that? Where you've wondered, like, I, I believe in Jesus. I believe he has the power to, 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 you know, do this thing or to change this thing, but, but I'm just not sure I'm, I'm worth it. You know, my grandfather, he, 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 um, he got really sick in his fifties and he refused to ask Jesus for healing. He was a, a man of faith, but he refused to ask Jesus for healing. He would let my mom pray for him, but he wouldn't pray for healing specifically because he felt like the sickness he was getting was, uh, judgment from God. And because of what he perceived to be a, some, a decision he had made in his teenage years that was wrong. And, 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 and unless you think it was some great immoral decision, it wasn't. It had to do with vocation. Um, and he carried that all his life. And so when he, when he came to a place in his life where he, he could have, I'm not saying he would have been healed, but he could have you know, turned to Jesus and prayed, he refused to do it because he specifically felt like the healing that Jesus could have offered didn't apply to him anymore. It couldn't apply to him anymore. He carried this sense that God was doing this to him. Now, that raises a whole other issue. But, but specifically, he wouldn't pray because he didn't think the goodness of Jesus could be true for him. Well, I don't know what this man had to push through, what kind of shame he had to overcome, what kind of anxiety he had. I don't know how far he had to travel and, and what it took. But he shows up and he falls down and he begs Jesus saying, Essentially, I don't know if I'm worthy of your attention, but please, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Now, how does Jesus respond? In an incredible way. I don't think we really grasp, maybe we do, if we think of various things that you are afraid to touch, and then you apply that to, to people, which isn't as common for us perhaps today, but, but I think you can probably think of some situations you think, I am not touching that. And now build that up over a whole culture that says, this is a person untouchable. This is a person I do not go near. This is a person who will contaminate me. And for the first thing Jesus to do, non-verbally, even before he says anything, he reaches out his hand and touches the man. It's an incredible thing. For a man who feels he has been totally cut off, totally untouchable, for a man who's been reviled and rejected to be touched by someone, by someone who is clean. <laughs> it's an incredible thing. It's worth meditating on, actually, to consider how Jesus touches the untouchable. And then consider a people in our lives or people in our culture or people in our world who feel like ah, they are untouchable to be touched by Jesus. It's incredible. It also reveals, again, we've already talked a little bit about the purity contamination uh, worldview, the clean-unclean. How it was understood in that day was that uncleanliness spread. It's not totally, I mean, it's different than we would view germs today, but think of that as the idea. The idea would be, if I am cutting up fresh chicken on my counter, which I've been known to do, and so have you, so we're cutting up chicken on the counter, and then I put the chicken in the pot, And then I turn and I open up a package of bread. 
and I flop it down the counter and I start cutting it, I'm going to make myself a sandwich. What would you say? Yeah, stop! Don't, don't do it, right? Because you do not believe that my perfectly clean bread will somehow clean up the possible contamination that is sitting on that counter. Are you with me? Because we think uncleanness also spreads. Well, that's how it was understood in that culture. So anyone who was clean that therefore touched something that was unclean, they are now unclean. And so for Jesus to reach out and touch is powerful. Because instead of uncleanliness contaminating Jesus, what's happening? It's the direct opposite. Purity is flowing to what has been contaminated. Jesus is the clean one who walks around and instead of everything he touches becoming, or you know, him becoming contaminated, everything he touches is becoming clean again. It's a beautiful image. Jesus touches him, but he also answers his question directly. He says, I am willing. Be clean. And immediately, the leprosy left him. Now this story, this, this event, is a powerful testimony to the love and the power of Jesus. The presence that God's kingdom has come. This is what Jesus has been announcing. But it's not only a powerful demonstration that he's come because of the healing, but in this story in particular, it's the heart behind the healing. A desire to see wholeness and restoration come. That Jesus is willing that Jesus loves this man, that he loves you, that he cares for us, that he reaches us and touches us and cleanses us. It's, it's the kingdom of God breaking in to a very broken and shattered world. It's beautiful. Well, not only is this guy's life transformed instantly, but his healing serves a larger purpose. It points to the fact that because Jesus has come, things that have been broken things that have been ruined and scarred, things that have become unclean, they're beginning to become clean again, whole again. All the evil in the world is beginning to become untrue. The miracles, the healings that we read in the gospel stories, the the casting out of demons, as well as, and it's very important to understand this, as well as Jesus eating with sinners. And, 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 and beginning to welcome outcasts and, and forgiving people. All these are signs that God's new kingdom is breaking in. But these miracles in particular, the signs, the powers, the mighty works of Jesus, they serve as, as markers, as testimony, as signs. See what's happening here. What Jesus is doing and what Jesus is saying, these are all connected to God's big will for the world. It's what God is doing through Jesus. So the man's healed. He's cleansed. Then Jesus orders him. And this can surprise us if we're new to the stories, but if you have read through the Jesus stories, you know that he often does this kind of thing. He says to the guy, don't tell anyone, which I think would be a little hard to do if you've been away for 15 years. And you're back. (laughs) Right? Uh, frankly, also because wouldn't you just be a little excited about it? Don't tell anyone. Don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing back in Leviticus 
as a testimony to them. Now, why does he tell this fellow to do this? I think there's at least three reasons. There's probably more, but I'll unpack three of them quick. One is for his restoration. This is very important. Jesus has not only cleansed this man, he is concerned about his complete restoration to his community in worship, in his family. And by going to the priest and submitting himself to the process of restoration, outlined in Levitical law, because it wasn't just like, oh, you're looking great, go ahead. It wasn't like that. There was like a process they had to go through, they had to shave, they had to be in a tent, you know, there was a, it didn't happen overnight. There was a process. But by going, submitting himself to that process, that's how he would be then declared officially clean by the religious slash medical authorities. Leprosy free. And he would be able to return to full participation in his community. And without that, I mean, there would always be questions like, okay, I can see the face, but like, what's under the robe? You know what I'm saying? There would always be kind of a question like, is he really clean? Is he still contaminated? You know. And this is important. Jesus wants complete restoration. He's concerned for the whole person. Very important. This is God's intention for us. This is God's intention for the whole world. His intention is that He would make all things new. God is committed to making all things new. We see that in the whole story arc and the promises that are given. This is the way He's going. What He started in Christ now, what He's showing through these signs and these wonders pointing to is that God is committed to finishing what Jesus has begun through the Spirit, making all things new when Jesus returns. And this miracle, this healing, this cleansing, it all points beyond itself to God's good intention, which is for full restoration. So restoration is the first one. Second is witness. To testify to the priests within the system that God was doing something in Jesus that they needed to pay attention to. He was up to something new. Jesus is on the scene now, and, and all of a sudden, they're hearing, business is not as usual. People are becoming clean again. People are having demons cast out of them. People are being healed physically. People are receiving a powerful teaching from this man, Jesus. Perhaps it would spark their interest. Perhaps it would lead them on a journey themselves. They would go. They would begin to check him out. They would discover that what Jesus is saying and doing lines up with what God has promised he would do. Well, whatever the hope, Jesus sends this freshly cleansed former leper as a testimony to these priests. Essentially, look what God did for me through Jesus. Would you take a look? And look, they did. Third is teaching. This is particular has the don't tell anyone business, go and you know, go through the process. Jesus doesn't want word of this to spread until people understood more of what he was actually doing. People would make a lot of assumptions about what it meant that the kingdom of God was present. Um, they would make a lot of assumptions and based on their own hopes and their own fears. And so when they heard of Jesus, or they heard that he was the Messiah, or they heard that there was this great prophet, they would, they would go and they would fill in all the details they were already carrying. And what Jesus wanted to do is he wanted an opportunity to sit down with people, like we heard in the last number of months through the Sermon on the Mount, sit down with people and explain to them, this is what my kingdom is like. This is what it's about. 
And unfortunately, uh, when there were powerful healings, um, people would, would frankly get a little, a little excited, a little distracted perhaps, and it made it difficult for Jesus to sit down and teach them. And we see that through the story. People just swamp him, and he has a hard time um, really getting them to understand how the healings or the cleansings, how these things fit into the story that God is weaving uh, through him. A little earlier, just in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is getting swamped again because of healings. And so finally he just leaves. He says, no, i got to go and tell the good news, proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns too. That's why I was sent. And so he'd leave. Well, as was normal in the gospel stories, Jesus was not able to keep a lid on things. doesn't specifically say the guy went and told everybody, but news spread. And so in verse 15, 16, just finishing the story for the day, the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. He had to keep removing himself from people, uh, not only so that he continued to do the main teaching that he wanted to do, the main thing, but also so that he could remember what his main mission was, and that would have been uh, why he was praying. Well, shucks, it's after 11 already. That was only half my message. I told Tineo I was going to be in trouble this week. Okay, for 10 more minutes? Okay. Oh, yeah. What are some of the implications of this? First, about healing. Just what do healings tell us about Jesus? Because this is important. When we're reading through the Gospels, that we understand, like, how does this fit? First of all, um, this is obvious, but healings reveal his greatness. You've got to understand, in that culture, in that time, like the fact that Jesus was able to touch a man and he was cleansed, it reveals his power. The power of God in Christ to touch uh, and, and to heal and to restore. And as the story unfolds, you know, to raise the dead for Christ. Like, wow! What is God doing through this man? And, and it reveals his greatness. And they're beginning to think, what is going on here? He's more than just a prophet. He's more than, what, how do I, it, they reveal his greatness. It reveals that sin and disease and brokenness and separation, they're just not problems for Jesus. He has the power to just speak, touch, and people are healed and cleansed and, and restored. So healings reveal his greatness. Healings, of course, reveal also his goodness. I mean, this story in particular, but you read all the stories. Jesus is just so willing. He cares deeply. He has a deep compassion for those who are broken in body, in mind, in spirit. And these healings, they, I mean, one of the things that really stands out, even as Jesus is constantly trying to keep a lid on things, is that, frankly, Jesus just can't help himself. People come to him and they need healing, and okay, I'll heal you. Not begrudgingly, but because he does care for the broken. And he wants them to experience change and renewal. He touches the untouchable. And so I, I think one of the powerful things when we read these stories is remembering he is great, but oh, he is also so very good. So very good. The third thing healings reveal is also his intention. They're like little tastes of what God intends to do for all of us, for all of creation. They're little previews. These miracles of Jesus are signs that new creation is breaking in to the old creation. 
that sin and darkness and death are meeting their match in Jesus. That God is a God of new creation and that however we may have thought looking around, we realize when we look at Jesus, when we look at what He's doing, we realize God has not, in fact, abandoned His creation. That He is going to restore it. And Jesus and the healings that He performs are signs of that, little foretastes of that, of what's to come. This is God's full intention. Healings reveal that. And then, of course, healings reveal His identity. That new creation is here because the King of new creation is here. I mean, here in this story, we see his identity as the one who's bringing cleansing. But through the stories and and the teaching, as the case is built, as it were, people begin to realize this is not just a man. Oh, he's a man, but he's also the son of God. John's gospel, the fourth of the Jesus stories, is even more explicit. Every miracle he uses, he specifically uses it as a sign to point to the identity of Jesus, the one who sent the Son of God. So healings also reveal his identity. And yet, whenever we look at these gospel stories, we have to ask a very honest, difficult question. In the Gospels, when people come to Jesus and ask for healing, what happens? What happens to every single one of them? They're healed. Every one of them. Healed? Cleansed? Death? No problem. Lazarus? Oh yeah, I know you stink. You've been dead four days. No problem. Right? Every one of them gets healed. Why? When we pray now, are only some people healed. And frank, frankly, not very many. Let's be honest. Some are. But nowhere near the percentages that come when they come to Jesus in the Gospels. That's a tough question that we have to grapple with. Why does God heal some and not others? Why aren't we always healed? Why are only some people healed now? Now, I'm not, uh, I'm not going to suggest that I have the answer for that. You can watch televangelists to get that answer. <laughs> was that wrong? Lord, forgive me. What I'm trying to say is there is obviously some mystery here, right? There's some mystery here. And uh, people who give super clear answers on this one, I, I'm a little hesitant. So there's mystery here. But I do want to offer um, a few things, and I hope that as we go through the month of August, we'll be returning to some of these. So if you'll allow me to rattle through them fairly quick, and we may be able to come back to them in, in the weeks ahead. I, I think there's at least, I keep saying at least, right? Because who knows, there's probably more. But there's at least seven reasons that are given, floated out there, from people when asked the question, why aren't some people getting healed? Or why, aren't, why isn't that being healed? Why isn't God answering that prayer? At least seven reasons. I think four of them are really bad. I'll start with them. So there's four, first, I think there's four bad reasons that people give. People give these reasons for why someone isn't healed. And I think they're bad. I'll just tell you flat out. First, Jesus needs you to have more faith before he'll heal you. I grew up in that camp. I grew up hearing that all the time. If people didn't get healed, it's because, you know what? 
your faith quotient was just under the line. Jesus was waiting. You know, if you'd just been able to get it up that high, then I'd heal you. But, you know, sorry. Nonsense. Nothing in the Bible about that. Doesn't reveal the heart of Jesus. I think it's the dumbest reason out there, but it's constantly used. Well, I guess you just didn't have enough faith. You know, folks, read the gospel stories. There's people who came to Jesus who didn't have much faith at all. In fact, we'll find out next week, somebody was drugged to Jesus and frankly doesn't even tell us he has had faith at all. His friends had faith. We'll get back to that. But you know what? A little bit of faith, a tiny bit of faith, enough faith to just turn your eyes and say, help. That's all Jesus is looking for. So this idea that, well, you just need to have more faith is nonsense. Second bad reason is that Jesus just doesn't heal anymore. Done. Done deal, you know. He did that to kind of show who Jesus was. And then it kind of, you know, when the apostles were doing the thing, they did some wild stuff. But that was, again, just to establish the little church. And then it just kind of tapered off. And frankly, anything that's miraculous, supernatural healings. And then, of course, they include tongues or prophecy or words of knowledge, anything like that. Um, anything like that, it's done. The fancy word for it is cessationism, as in it ceased. Particularly with the closing of the canon is what some will say. This is the idea that signs were given to sort of establish things, but they're no longer necessary afterwards. Now, frankly, I just don't see that in the Bible. I just don't see that that's indicated as going to happen. And there are Christian brothers and sisters that I have and know that believe this, but I just don't see it in the Scripture. But also, there are many people, and you know some, and you yourselves are some of them, who can say, actually, I have been healed by Jesus. Like, I have experienced healing, significant healing. Someone in my family experienced significant healing. And you can expand that out. There's many people alive today or down through history who've experienced healing from Jesus. Seems like Jesus still continues to heal. The third reason that's bad is that Jesus just doesn't care like he did back then. And, and that is that, you know, I don't know, his interest has waned. You know, we were fun for a while, but I just think that, okay, I don't even have to say, I don't want to say much more. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus proved his love for us on the cross, and he continues to extend his love for us through the Holy Spirit. He is intensely interested in your life. And of course, a fourth bad reason is that Jesus, frankly, never did heal like that. The gospel stories are fake. Well, that's a whole other question we could address, but I wanted to name it because sometimes that's said. We, we bring up a healing story and people go, well, that's nice, but really it represents sort of a spiritual truth. Jesus didn't really heal anybody because, and the reason always is given, because we know that sort of thing doesn't happen. Which is kind of begs the question because it's like, well, yeah, but it was happening and it has happened. But that can be a reason given. The gospel accounts aren't trustworthy. The reality is the gospel accounts are incredibly trustworthy. Eyewitness accounts are based on eyewitness accounts. And you and anyone can dig in and see how trustworthy they are. But it also pushes people to acknowledge that often the reason why there's a rejection of a miracle of Jesus or a rejection of the gospel accounts is because people already carry their own bias. Like, I know that Jesus didn't rise again from the dead because people don't rise again from the dead. It's like, well, that's not a reason. Because Jesus died and rose again from the dead. So you've got to explore what are the biases that are underneath that, right? But that is a reason that is given. That was the first four of their bad reasons. We might have time in the future to unpack some of them more, but for now. There's another reason that's given that I think might possibly be true. <clears throat> so, you know, give or take. And that is that Jesus wants you to keep asking. 
that, that you've got a need in your life, <clears throat> a need for healing, and, and part of it is Jesus saying, look, I, I actually want you to keep asking me for it. I want you to keep coming to me for it. I want you to persevere. And there's, frankly, quite a bit of Scripture uh, in the Bible, different sayings from Jesus himself that, that encourage us to keep coming and keep asking, to persist in prayer. The thing about persisting in prayer, or persisting in asking, is that the Holy Spirit is able to do something in our lives in this period of time where we keep coming back to Jesus and asking Him for what we need. Maybe the Holy Spirit under, un, uncovers something in us that we hadn't identified before. Or, or maybe there's an area in our life that actually needs to be addressed. And if Jesus were just to kind of come to us and say, done, you'd never actually know that there's something uh, you've been holding on to. There's something that you've been thinking. There's, there's, a, there's an area of your life that Jesus really wants you to open up to him and let him lead in. And you'd never be aware of that because if he just took away what you were experiencing instantly, then life would be back to normal. And you wouldn't keep coming to him and asking him for healing. That can be true. And, and, and it's, it's remembering when we realize how good Jesus is and how much we can trust him, that if we keep coming back to him, that, that we, we can trust that he wants to do something good in us. And if he's not quite doing what we thought he should be doing, then maybe there's something else he wants to address. That could be true. And then the last two very true reasons are this. One is knowing that regardless of whether or not you're healed today or next week, Jesus will still heal you. That's a fact. Jesus will heal you. Now, it may not be on the timetable that you would hope for. I get it. It may not be in the way that you would hope for. It could be that Jesus says, yeah, I want to heal you. Let's talk about your diet. I'm not kidding. Or it could be, uh, uh, I I do want to heal you, but I'm actually going to use the medical practitioners to do that. And it's going to be a wonderful testimony to God's grace in your life. You know, there's that. It could be that he's going to wait for a while before you experience healing. It could be that you will not experience full healing until resurrection. But it does not change the fact that Jesus will heal you because resurrection is a sure thing. That Jesus died and rose again. And could he experience what the Father did in Jesus, he has promised to do for us. And so while it's hard, I know, you know, I just turned 45 last week. Which means if, 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 by God's grace, I live to be 90, I'm halfway. But I might not. Lots of us don't, right? Lots of us are way past halfway, and you know it. That's not a bad thing. It's good, you know. It's fine. Because resurrection sure, right? So whatever sickness or difficulty we're having now, it doesn't change the fact that, folks, this is short term. You know that. We know it's short term. Jesus will heal us. Promise. Done. Deal. So even when we struggle in the, in the tension of like, ah, he's, he, he does heal, he can heal, he might heal now, but he will heal in the future, we can live with faith and trust that Jesus has promised us full and complete restoration, even if we don't always fully realize that now. Resurrection's coming. And then the, the, the last one, which I've already sort of alluded to, is that Jesus is doing something greater than we can know. He's either doing it in you, or he's doing it through you. 
But God has such a bigger picture of what he's actually doing in our lives. And he's doing through us in the lives of others. And he loves us more than we can imagine. And so if he's not healing you now, or if a family member is not healed and dies, this is hard, I know. And there's a mystery here. I'm not trying to relieve that. But we can be confident that God has not forgotten us. That God still loves us more than we can imagine. That there is actually a reason. He is somehow working it out for our good and the good of others. And we really can trust Him that whatever we experience now will, will be outweighed by the glory that He will reveal in us and through us. We heard that as we were worshiping in song, Romans 8.18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Can you say that? Not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Not worth comparing. The Apostle Paul, he goes on right there in that passage to talk about how we groan, even in our bodies, and how the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. Jesus wants to testify through us of His goodness and His grace. And He'll do that through healing, but He'll also do that by walking with us through brokenness. Jesus is doing something greater than we can know. Well, way over time, I apologize. I knew I was trying to pack too much in for today, and that probably still felt like I rattled through stuff way too fast, right? Guess what? We're going to be here at the same time, same place next week. And we're going to be going through another great healing story where the paralyzed man is let down through the roof. I love that story. It's actually the next story in Luke chapter 5. So for today, I don't know where you sit. I don't know what's going on in your life or the life of your family. I don't know what part of the story even you connected with. But what I know is this. Jesus has great intentions for you. He passionately loves you and me. He passionately loves people who have felt rejected, who have felt alone, who have felt unclean. He loves, loves, loves us. And he longs for people to know that he is willing and he is committed to bringing complete restoration because that's who he is and what he will do. And so I'm going to invite Brian and Marvin and Olin to come up. We're going to sing a closing song as a way of, of, of just pointing us here at the end to who Jesus is. His gentle healing as the gentle healer. And I, and I hope and pray that during this song, um, whatever it is that you've been wrestling with, struggling with, thinking about, whatever questions you may have today, that you simply come in your heart, come in your mind, and say, Lord Jesus, this is what's going on for me. Um, I ask you to touch me. I ask you to heal me. I ask you to reveal yourself to me. And I not only encourage you to do that in, in your own heart, but perhaps there's someone around you um, that you would like to ask, would you pray with me? Or someone that you'd like to ask, could I pray with you? Uh, go ahead and do that. Um, following this song, we'll have a benediction and then we'll move to coffee time. But if you'd like to receive prayer, feel free to ask someone around you or, or come to me and uh, be happy to pray with you today. This is The Gentle Healer. Gentle, yeah, my fault, my voice is...
of your Father, the grace of Jesus Christ touching you, and the Spirit of God sending you into the world to reveal His love to many. Go in peace. Hope to see you at coffee time. Thank you for listening. We hope today's teaching provided you with life-changing truth and valuable insight. We hope you've learned of some practical steps forward in your spiritual journey, whether you're finding Jesus for the first time or you have been following him for years. Do you know someone who would be encouraged by what you heard today? We invite you to share this podcast so they can be encouraged too. For more information or to ask more questions, you can connect with us through our website, ericksoncovenant.ca. You can also find us on Facebook by searching for the Erickson Covenant Church.